MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Live on tape from the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York City, it's Stephen Welcome, one and all, to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. This is an important day in America. Happy Veterans Day, everybody. I'll join right in. All of us here at The Late Show want to extend our heartfelt thanks to all who have served and sacrificed for this country. Words cannot express our gratitude. So instead, we tried pictures in our very special Veterans Day dome featuring staff and crew and their loved ones who have served our country. Thank you again. Now, yeah. Yes. Here in New York, here in the big city of dreams, they held the annual Veterans Day parade for the 102nd consecutive year. The first one was held in uh, 1919. Parades back then were a lot less fun because they could only make them in black and white. (laughs) And they were silent, and all the people walked like this. (laughs) Until the talkies. It's so great to see the parade back in full force. Last year, because of COVID, they couldn't have people marching. So they only had 100 vehicle parade without spectators. So, traffic. (laughs) And also, this could be a big day for the fight against global warming because the United States and China announced a joint agreement saying they would work together to do more to cut emissions this decade. Now, keep in mind, (laughs) this, this could be... Don't know. Maybe. Could be significant because the United States and China are the world's two biggest polluters. Of course, number three is any Keurig machine. (laughs) I'll take my coffee with milk, sugar, and a little plastic cup that fits right into a dolphin's blowhole. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's true. Come here, Flipper. It's hazelnut. Hold still. (laughs) But this agreement is pretty short on specifics. The nations just agreed to enhance ambition on climate change. Enhance ambition is a technical, diplomatic level of crisis response. It goes, enhance ambition, elevate enthusiasm, (laughs) biggie-size initiative, extra crispy, and too late, we're all dead. (laughs) Oh, in coronavirus news, as the weather gets colder and people start gathering indoors more, cases are on the rise again, and experts are warning the U.S. could face a fifth major wave. No! No more wave, science! I was promised a normal holiday season. The family dinner's on Thanksgiving. The carolers on Christmas. The fight's on Black Friday, as God intended. That's how God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He told everyone in Gomorrah 
there were half-off TVs at the Sodom Best Buy. <laughs> now, if we do get a fifth wave, it won't affect the entire country equally because the places hardest hit tend to have low vaccination rates. Well, yeah. <laughs> at this point, staying unvaccinated is like wearing a Yankees hat to a Red Sox game. <laughs> You're probably going to end up in the hospital, and it's your own damn fault. <laughs> but... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Leaders are bracing for a potential spike in cases. Take California governor and robot in the hall of never going to be presidents, <laughs> Gavin Newsom. Yesterday, Newsom explained why he's extending California's state of emergency. While we were spared the worst in this summer, uh, the prospects uh, of a challenging winter are upon us. Winter is coming. Um, winter is here. Makes sense to quote Game of Thrones because the pandemic is already way too long and it's not going to end well. <laughs> We're making headway against COVID with vaccines and masks, though. Thing is, there's this downside because according to a new study, the world created about 8 million tons of pandemic plastic waste and much of it is now in the ocean. That is shocking and that is wrong. In New York, we don't throw our trash in the ocean. We put it where it belongs piled on the sidewalk where it stays forever, slowly turning into a rat palace. <laughs> and all of this discarded rat palace. That's... All this discarded PPE now threatens to disrupt marine life. On the bright side, crustaceans now have enough gear to stage their own medical drama, Cray's Anatomy. <laughs> Another bit of fallout from the pandemic, people aren't going to the movies. Ticket sales still lag nearly 70% behind what they were in 2019. Of course, 2019 was an especially profitable year because of all the dads going to multiple showings of Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> it makes us feel things. <laughs> to deal with the hit in ticket sales, some movie theater chains are getting creative, like AMC which will start selling its popcorn outside of theaters. Oh, my dear, sweet, simple AMC. Tis not your popped corn we did desire. Twas the butter pump. The only reason... The only reason... The only reason people like movie popcorn is that we can drown it in an unholy deluge of liquefied trans fat so unnatural that legally it can't be called butter. <laughs> it's golden topping. And it contains 100% of your daily recommended allowance of golden. <laughs> AMC will also sell Coca-Cola freestyle drink options, bottled water, and candy. Perfect for anyone whose favorite part of any movie is paying $7 for raisinettes. <laughs> Movie chain will sell their popcorn four ways with a microwave at home option in to go packages for takeout and pickup, via delivery, and in mall kiosks. That's right, to save their business, they're betting on malls. <laughs> if that doesn't, that struck home. That struck a nerve, is what that did. That's a lot, the malls. If that doesn't work, they're gonna put it all on portable CD players. <laughs> They're amazing. You can listen to music while you're walking, as long as you don't start walking. <laughs> and it's not just movies. There's another popular pastime that's losing appeal, going down to Bone Town. 
because according to the renowned scientific publication Match.com, 81% of single men said sex is now less important than it was for them in pre-pandemic times because they've become more well-rounded. Yes, we've all become more well-rounded, <laughs> but we're working on it. According to the researchers, it's most striking in men that they're taking a moment to value relationships and relationship context of intimate encounters more. That's how low the bar is for men. We were impressed to see these men getting most of their urine into the toilet rather than just dropping trowel and making a rough estimate as to the whereabouts of the bathroom. I'm saying that we're animals, is what we're saying. This new interest in human relationships is having an impact because rates of casual sex are down, although that could be because, from what I read in the tabloids, every available woman is currently having sex with Pete Davidson. <laughs> Speaking of... Pistol Pete. Good for you, Pete. Speaking of surveys, another survey. This one found that 8 out of 10 Americans say they use slang, but half admit to not even knowing the meaning of the terms they use. They don't even know what they're saying. TBH, that is high-key extra Fortnite DM slide. Am I right, my butt chuggies? <laughs> Am I? I don't even know what you're Survey about. had some surprising results about who uses which slang. Turns out boomers use woke more than other generations. <laughs> well, that got co-opted fast. Not a total shocker. Boomers are on the cutting edge of being woke at 4 a.m. to go pee. <laughs> On the other hand, boomers hate OK Boomer. <laughs> All right, Grandpa. <laughs> other generations have their own favorite slang words. Millennial liked salty, meaning exceptionally bitter or angry, as well as thirsty, meaning needing attention. For example, salty and thirsty might be how you describe this video of Mr. Peanut dabbing. <laughs> we got a great show for you tonight. Coming up, meanwhile. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferreira, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm gonna be honest, I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Definitely, you're definitely going to want to stick around for tonight's show, John, because yes. uh, we yes. got two amazing guests tonight. Two gingers, actually. Kenneth Branagh uh -huh. and Ellie Kemper are both here. Oh, yeah. Tonight. That's a great show. Not together, great but both, both here tonight. Yes. Ha you, it hasn't come out yet, but it's, a, it's about to come out. 
Brian's new movie, Belfast, is extraordinary. Oh, you've seen it. I've seen it. It's unbelievably beautiful. It's both funny and sad mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm. It's the most Irish movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yes, yes. Highly recommend it. You know, folks, I spent a lot of time right over there compiling the most current geometry questions, sprinkling in a topical set of data analyses, folding them together along the newsworthiest word problems, then pairing all of that with the day's most pressing reading passages to collate for you the per perfectly calibrated, bespoke SAT test that is my monologue. But <laughs> sometimes, just sometimes, I huff a pile of salvia and stagger into a landfill where I forage for crusty old Sudokus, grab a sack full of used and wet Mad Libs, and crazy glue them into the spine of a discarded Reader's Digest I found in a burnout Walden books to <laughs> present to you the illegible hobo BuzzFeed quiz of news that is my segment. There it is. That's a shot in the arm. That is a shot in the arm for this nation. <laughs> Meanwhile, according to new research, it turns out exercise isn't as likely to ruin your knees as you thought. Well, then stop researching. <laughs> That's my go-to excuse. Someone says, hey, let's get some exercise. All you have to say is, can't. Knees. <laughs> then they leave you on the couch cuddling with your can of Ready Whip. <laughs> Meanwhile, Eating fat can lower your stroke risk, a new study says, as long as it's the right kind. I will not read the study. I will assume it's cheesecake. <laughs> and I will move on. <laughs> not very fast because of the cheesecake. And, of course, the knees. <laughs> Meanwhile, friends, most of the time, a headline is pretty easy to navigate for any of us, but sometimes it's a journey through a terrifying jungle of words, concepts, and imagery, and it's easy for one to get lost. Now, our next headline is a doozy, but don't be scared. We're going to parse it together. So buckle up, because, meanwhile, a stripper named Pole Assassin who hooked up with a University of Texas Longhorns football coach shortly after he left his wife and three kids is defending her emotional support monkey after it was accused of biting a child at a Halloween haunted house. <laughs> okay. Everybody take a deep breath. We're through it, okay? We're through. We're going to get through this together. The key is just take this headline in small bites. I'm your meanwhile mama bird. I'm going to preach you the headline, spit it into your mouth. Here we go. <laughs> First, there's a stripper called Pole Assassin. Obviously, that's a stage name. Her real name is Paula Assassinowski. <laughs> Next, she hooked up with the University of Texas Longhorns football coach shortly after he left his wife and three kids. Not sure why this guy is getting roped into the story, unless his wife and three kids wrote the headline. Still with me? Here we go. Miss Assassinowski happens to have an emotional support monkey. That's pretty hot, although it must be kind of tough to get the dollar into his little diaper. Okay, let's keep moving or our muscles will tighten up. Okay, we're almost there. Said support monkey was accused of biting a child. Fair game. It's not the kid's emotional support monkey. Get your own. And all of this happened at a Halloween haunted house that Pole Assassin set up in her yard. I bet it's fairly popular in the neighborhood. <laughs> hey, kids, you want a trick-or-treat at the church basement or the monkey-owning stripper's house? <laughs> now that you understand all the elements of that headline, 
Let's go back through it one more time. A stripper called Pole Assassin, who hooked up with the University of Texas Longhorns football coach shortly after he left his wife and three kids, is defending her emotional support monkey after it was accused of biting a child at a Halloween haunted house. <laughs> now that you've got it, I'm sure you're saying, Steve, that all makes sense. But is the monkey okay? <laughs> yes. They got him an emotional support stripper. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Sonic the Hedgehog sequel is in production, and Idris Elba will play Sonic's friend Knuckles, the echidna, in the new movie. The movie's called Sonic the Hedgehog 2, but Idris calls it Second House. <laughs> Fans. <laughs> We're immediately excited to see if People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive 2018 would bring the sexy to the role. But all hopes were dashed when we found out that Idris Elba's knuckles will not be sexy. And Elba insisted contractually, I cannot say anything, but I wouldn't say he was sexy. I don't think I'm going for that. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. When you're Idris Elba, it doesn't matter what you're going for. It's gonna be... <laughs> Sex... Okay, not that. Not that one. Ignore... Ignore the last one. I don't know. A little bit. A little sexy. Well, if Elba's knuckles isn't going to be sexy, that just means there's room in the marketplace for some lazy producer to swoop in and slap together the sexy knuckles movie that people so clearly want. And I'm just lazy enough to slap it. Jim? Coming soon. He's so strong. He's the hero we need. He's so hot. so hot. To have sex with. Ladies, please. There's enough knuckles to go around. <laughs> no, really. I'm an echidna. I have four penises. That's real. Look it up. Sexy Knuckles. Coming soon. Pretty messed up, right? Coming up, Kenneth Branagh. Hello, what a great crowd. Yeah, it isn't lovely. Yeah. Nice to have you back again. Thank you. Very nice to be back. Thank I'm you. a very lucky man. I got to see your film, Belfast, uh, a couple weeks ago at the Montclair Film Festival, and I didn't even know that I would be talking to you about it. Right. The first thing I thought was, oh, I hope I got a chance to talk to you about him, and I found out the next day, sure enough, here you're going to be oh, here. It is uh, my favorite movie I've seen this year, favorite movie I've seen in many years. Oh, it's such so a beautiful and tender story of this thank family. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. This family in Northern Ireland caught in the what was called the Troubles starting in 1969. Mm -hmm. People may not know how this story is personal to you. You wrote the story and tell them how so. Well, I'm from there. I was born in Belfast and I lived there till I was nine. And the story of the film is really about something that happened to me when I was nine years old and my family. We lived, we lived a life that could advertise the idea that it takes a village to raise a, to raise a child. We lived in a in one, one street where my family had many siblings, I had many cousins. If you weren't related to half of Belfast, you went to school with the other half. It felt as though you knew where you were. And then in the summer, the hot summer of 1969, 
violence uh, spread onto the streets and uh, there was a moment when I thought I was hearing a, a, a swarm of bees a little way away and it wasn't bees. I turned around, life got very surreal and it turned out to be a crowd of rioters that were coming up our street and eventually smashing the windows of the Catholic houses. We were a predominantly Protestant street for what it was worth but living very peacefully with our Catholic neighbours. And uh, literally the world turned upside down. The, the ground on which we stood was lifted and the paving stones were put onto a barricade at the end of the street, either end of the street. We were walking on sand, literally the, the living metaphor of the, of, the, of the world turning upside down. And really from that moment, my life never really... Uh, followed any kind of expected track. I moved somewhere, I sounded different. I don't know if I'd ever been sitting here with you, Stephen, if I'd, if I'd stayed in Belfast, but it was a, a momentous time in my life that I hadn't really faced up to kind of, um, you know, feeling or processing until really the lockdown that we started a couple of years ago sent me right back to the lockdown that was created when that violence uh, came and struck our family. So that struck a nerve for you, that was resonant for you, that original experience. Yes, it was, it was. It was because, you know, we, 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 I suppose what happened was that the family went, in a way that maybe we all understand through lockdown, they went on to sort of code red. You know, everything, mm -hmm. we, we touched on it a little while ago, this idea of that moment in everybody or anybody's life when maybe, you know, the, the, the Jesuits say, give me the child till seven and I'll show you, show you the adult. And I think there's a moment when there's a crossover point when whatever you might call it beforehand, innocence or just a sense of if you are lucky and if you're lucky enough to have a family and have some sense of being settled, you have to at some point enter the adult world. My version of it, like many other peoples in that part of the world, was suddenly accelerated. It was very dangerous. Um, it's often very exciting. And so once it happened, you had to try and find a way to navigate this new world that was certain, suddenly full of worry and burden. You started to think about a future that you'd never thought about. You started to wonder whether you were going to be living in the same place. And, and so it, it, it suddenly... You, and you looked for refuge any way you could. And in my case, it was religion. No good for me, I'm afraid. That didn't work. <laughs> they, just, they literally put the fear of God in me and suddenly told me there were, there were two roads that I would find when I left this, uh, when I left this world. And I could never remember which bloody roads they were. There was a long and winding one, there was a straight and narrow one, but, um, but I, that, there was only two. You'd, you'd think only two roads to remember, you'd be fine, wouldn't you? But I got so obsessed with it that that sort of um, paralysed me. And then the other two obsessions, well, three obsessions were football, um, uh, a girl called Catherine, and, uh, and movies. So that's where I found, that's where I tried to find a way of making sense of the world at that time. We have to take a quick break, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more Kenneth Branagh. The movie captures so beautifully, um, and I don't think I'm giving anything away, that it starts off in modern Belfast. Yes, the very opening is uh, helicopter or drone shots. Yeah. Really quite lovely shots of modern day Belfast. Yeah. And, and then it becomes a black and white movie as it right. passes over one of the dividing walls, one of sort of the, what do they call this name for them? Well, they're, they're the peace walls. The peace walls. The, peace goes walls. Over the peace interface wall. between the two communities. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's 1969 and it's black and white on the other side. It really captures that sort of 
before time that so many people have as memories of their childhood, especially a trauma, childhood that happened before a trauma yeah. that loses yeah. some of its color as a result. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am not Irish, okay? My family is Irish. I'm an American through and through. But everyone in my family is Irish. We've been Irish for five generations that we've been over here. And as a child, I heard about the troubles from my parents. They were talking about it all the time because I'm just a little, few years younger than you are. And I felt kind of bad when I first got into the movie because I thought Belfast had only carried this sense of dread to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. only these stories of the sectarian violence. And it's such a beautiful valentine. Yeah. to your hometown, which I was incredibly moved by, and I kind of felt bad that I hadn't thought better of your hometown. Well, you know, it's a complex history, you know, to that yep. part of the world and to that city, and there are, you know, there are plenty of sorrows, but there are incredible numbers of joys, and I'd say that one coping mechanism is a very, you know, sort of robust humour. Uh, they, love, they love laughter, they love music. Uh, well, that's what I was saying to John just a little while ago, is that the movie is so funny and so sad at the same time, and I've never seen anything so Irish in my life. Yeah, well, you're, I think that's, that's very well put. It the, was, it, you showed it at the Belfast Film Festival when? We went last week to the Belfast Film Festival. It was the first night. We had 1,400 people watching it. That in itself, back in the new post-pandemic world, was a very moving thing. Uh, and it was an absolutely electrifying atmosphere. I don't think, you know, sometimes you get a chance to go back and share a story. One of many, mm -hmm. everybody, man, woman and child in Belfast has, has a yarn and they're all worth a listen, I can tell you that. Uh, but this particular one they gave their ears to on that night. And as we all walked on afterwards, they stood up as one and cheered. And it was a, a, really one of the most beautiful nights of my, of my life. And my does brother it, was there and my sister was there. Does a it ton of still feel like your hometown? Yes, you know, you can take the boy out of Belfast, but you can't take Belfast out of the boy. Um, and I think that one of the things the film says, it's because it's, it's, a lot of it is about leaving, and a lot of people understand it. I've been very moved by people from around the world. An Iranian filmmaker who came to see it came out and said, that's my story. A Nigerian came out and said, that's my story. But I think that what the story sort of suggests and hopes you can do is, you know, take your home with you. If your home is meaningful to you, and I think where we start is meaningful to us, even if we have to let it go or go back and live in it in a slightly different way, or sometimes maybe just carry it inside us. Mm -hmm. And of course, home isn't necessarily the bricks and mortar, although in this case it partly is, but it's family. Home is family. And, you know, we had the usual kind of beautiful, dysfunctional family. Uh, it was where I lived was not an idyll, but it was unquestionably a home and uh, going back and, and touching that and feeling that and hearing the music of it, the music, the language, the music, the accents and everything was really, was a, was a wonderful thing to be able to do. Well, your movie family is extraordinary too. Uh, Kieran Hines, Judy Dench play your grandparents, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Jamie Dornan, uh, Katrina Balf play your, play your parents. Yeah. And, and the, the, uh, your alter ego yeah. is played this extraordinary young actor named Jude Hill who was just nine years old when he was cast. Um, what's, it like directing, what's it like directing someone that young? Is it, is it the same, like if you can say it to a 50-year-old, you should be able to say it to a nine-year-old? Oh, it's such an interesting question that, you know, I'm, I think I'm still working it out, actually. What we, uh, what we are hoping to do is, is make the, the movie as real as possible, as unacted as possible. And so one of the virtues of getting a nine-year-old boy is if, if, in his case, he could do this, if he could just be in the moment and present 
and listen. Half the performance was reacting, and he had that gift. He wasn't too nervous, and he was able to watch. He's at that point in his child development where his absorption of new things was so huge, including the acting process from watching people like Judy Dench and, and, and the others. And so uh, he, he, the only problem I had with him, actually, was, was two things. First, for the first two days, he couldn't stop looking at the camera. He kept sneaking a look. Whenever, whenever he did a scene, he'd do that, and he'd think he was rather good, and then he'd just catch, just to see if, just to, just to see if they'd, they'd seen his good side. Um, and then after two days, I said, you can't keep looking there. He said, where shall I look? I said, look at Judy Dench. She's ever so interesting. And so um, he looked at that. And the other thing he, could, he, he couldn't do, um, he's, a, he's a passionate soccer fan. You know, every, you know, many people back home are. And uh, so Liverpool Football Club are the, the club that he supports. My childhood self, and indeed my, my ancient self, is a fan of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, which, which features... Thank you. Oh, there's some Tottenham fans in here somewhere. Somewhere. You're the other two. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> and so uh, he had to, on a couple of occasions, suggest that he was loyal to Tottenham Hotspur, and he wouldn't do it. In rehearsal, he wouldn't do it. It was the one thing he put his foot down about. I thought he was going to stomp off back to his trailer. So, I can't do it. Can't do it. I'll do, I'll do it when we do the tick, but I'm not doing it in rehearsal. Um, <laughs> so, 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 only... You've got to have boundaries. <laughs> You've got to have boundaries. <laughs> and Tottenham and Liverpool were the boundaries. Wow. Well, Kenneth, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And thank you for this remarkable film. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, Ellie Kemper. to see you. Nice Thanks for you. being here. Thank you for having me. I haven't worn high heels in so long. I tripped on my way up. Oh, really? Oh, you didn't notice. I did not notice that. Gentlemen. She fell into my arms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last time we spoke, we spoke, boy, we spoke in over Zoom during yes. COVID, but yep. we actually haven't seen each other in person uh, since you had another uh, another yes, child. You're yes. two now. What are the I ages? Uh, Five-year-old James, two-year-old Matthew. Nice grouping. Good grouping. Yeah. 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 <laughs> They're in good company. Yeah, exactly. Far yeah. enough apart to their own person, but they'll still share high school together. Exactly right. Yeah. 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 Good planning. Your good kids, planning. we always try to plan. What? How far apart are your kids? None of your damn business. I know. I, you ask the questions. You ask the questions. Exactly. Okay. Same it. thing. Our first and our second were three years apart, just yeah. like yours. Yeah. It's, it's a good grouping. Yeah. Now, uh, listen, people know you uh, from The Office and from Bridesmaids and, and then The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. But I recently saw, I was shown a video of you, some of your early work, yeah. and it's a little surprising. Well, it's... And, and could you, before we go to this, I want people to know what's happening Okay, here. so this is a dramatic turn, one of my dramatic turns um, sure. before I turn to comedy. And basically, um, this is, a, I play a veterinarian's assistant who hates dogs. Um, I'm very. This is, you, you took this gig. This is just paying the bills. It's paying like an the bills. An industrial. It was a training video for uh, aspiring veterinarian assistants on what not to do. And so I, I'm sort of a villain in here, and I'm like extremely mean to this dog. Let's see how mean Let's she see. is. <laughs> My wife just called. Uh, she got home and found Rascal collapsed on the floor. I told her to drive straight here and I'd meet her. Oh, my. Oh, of course, Mr. Meyer. We'll do all we can for him when they get here. I can't believe he waltzes in here five minutes before we close and expects us to wait for his wife to get here. <laughs> Sue, lower your voice. He can hear you. He should know to use the emergency clinic for after-hours emergencies. You get to go home in five minutes. Meanwhile, I'll be here for another hour. And for what? Ellie thank, Kemper. Thank you. Ellie yeah, Kemper. I know. How awful, do I? Awful person. Awful. And I like the end uh, question for what 
to save a dog's life, like to help this dog is for what? And was this just uh, typecasting? Why did yeah. you? Why do you think you I know. got this part? I I I don't know. I you never... were pretty excited when you got this part, though. I'm sure. Yeah. Why? Just because it's so juicy? Well, no. Just at at the beginning of your career. I'd step on a baby's finger to get any part I could. Because <laughs> yes. you're so desperate Elated. to get I any think, yeah, kind absolutely, of work. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, look at the, the the energy I put into that eye roll. Yes, I was very excited. Sure. Very excited. Yeah. Quality, quality, quality. Thank you. Now, uh, Home Sweet Home Alone, uh, yeah. sort of a reimagining of Home Alone. Not really a sequel. Not, yeah. Not same a, circumstances. Same basically. circumstances, yes. Okay. Vaguely the same story. Yeah. It's a, yes, a reimagining. I like that term. And um, so Rob Delaney and I are essentially breaking into a uh, the kid who's Home Alone's mm -hmm. house uh, this time. So we kind of get to be the burglar types, which is fun. Again. A villain. Um, <laughs> now, are you spent a lot of COVID in St. Louis. Are you yeah. back in New York full-time Back in New York full-time. Like, are you liking a readjusting to the, the pace of the yes. big city? Yes, and doesn't it feel, uh, I saw um, by accident, I was like going jogging and I didn't realize I was right by the marathon on Sunday and it brought tears to my eyes. It, you see the marathon? Yeah, just see, I saw all the runners uh, entering on 90th Street mm -hmm. into Central Park and it was just very, it's moving. It's like the city is, I don't know. It, it no, it's, was metaphorical and it felt nice. It's also literal. Yeah, it's also, yeah, yeah. It's, also, <laughs> it's literal. <laughs> they were coming back. Yeah. But one of the best things about being back in New York mm -hmm. is like celeb sightings. I saw one the other two weeks ago. And what? <laughs> celeb, celeb sighting makes me very uncomfortable. Oh, just the term? No, no, because I, I can't remember whether I've interviewed them. Oh, <laughs> Oh, that has to be awful. I'm like, oh, hey, man. Oh, no. And he's like, yeah, you. we what? talked about this before. I was on before. last night. Oh, no, no, no. Oh. If you run into me, I will always clue you in. I'm okay, not great. a celeb, but I'll say, I was on your show Oh, yeah, six you're the girl who ago. hates dogs. Yeah, I'm the yes. girl who hates dogs. Yes. So but, you, you, you spotted a celeb. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got my, in the way of your story. You didn't. My husband and I are huge fans of Succession. Who is it? It's a great sure, show. Sure, great sure, show. Yeah. And I'm not usually, like, starstruck like this, but we saw Tom Wamsgans. Also, Matthew McFadden. He has yeah. a name, yeah. yes. Who, who was on your show, by the way, if you run into him. Okay, good. Thank you for reminding okay. me. <laughs> Thank you for reminding yeah. me. Yeah. And okay. he was going for a jog, and I swear, it was, like, orchestrated by fate. He all of a sudden stopped running and started walking as we were walking past on our way to the zoo. And I was like, I, I was embarrassed. I go, it's the guy from Succession. That's what I said. And he didn't hear us. But he started walking, and then Michael is is equally as big a fan as the show and him as I am. So then I said, Michael, we have to we have to uh, like run. We're gonna be late to the zoo. It was like 10 a.m. Like you're not gonna be late, late to, to the, the zoo. zoo. What are they gonna put away the polar bear? I <laughs> and I I was doing the thing. I can't, I. Uh, I was being sort of a loser because I was definitely like acting like I wasn't looking at him, but just kept looking at him, you know. And no, he was very cool. He was just on the phone. Is it Succession that you like, or is it him as Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice? Yes, the hook? it's both of them together. He can do it all. Is there anything he can't do? No, he's great. <laughs> I love, I love, and this is so, you have a, you're a mother of a two-year-old. Yep. Because every time you're talking about walking, you go, so we're walking. Oh! This is walking. This, this is, is, I'm like, this I'm like, I know exactly what you're doing, but you're also mowing Central Park is what you're doing at the same time. So we're walking. We're walking. It's, uh -huh. it's good to be back. I'm back mowing Central Park again. <laughs> that, I didn't even notice I did that. Yeah, yeah. that'll be the next two years. That's the other thing is that people don't give mothers credit for is that how little you have, uh, how little time you have to bathe. <laughs> Do no, I but it's smell? true. There's so little to, You don't smell. Okay, okay. You don't smell. <laughs> Um, so little. <laughs>
I am sorry. You have okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's been a long lockdown. Okay. Well, Ellie, it's just lovely to see you again. It's great to see you. Thank you very much for having me. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert weeknights at 11.35, 10.35 Central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.